Welcome to episode 47 of Game of Thrones Abridged. 47 is not a very round number, it's not a very pretty number, uh, it's not what you'd call a milestone, uh, but this episode is a bit special because it's the first episode of Game of Thrones Abridged on Alt Swift X to be live-streamed. Uh, well, I think it is. I'm not entirely, I'm not quite sure how all this works. Uh, so can, am I, oh, there's a chat. Oh, shit, there's a chat. Let me have, I'll have a look at, uh, oh, you're all, you're in a little box, guys. Did you know? You're inside a tiny little internet box. You're all talking there. This is amazing. Uh, I haven't really got a proper setup, so, like, it's kind of tricky for me to see the comments and speak into the mic. Uh, so, forgive me if uh, we're a bit low on audience participation. Just think of this as a sort of a test run, yeah? This is a this is a troubleshooting technical thingy. I I should be able to get the chat on my phone, shouldn't I? But I don't think I can. Um, see, live streaming. Oh shit! Yeah, we can't do it from the phone. So let's. I'm just gonna like do the episode. We're gonna be we're gonna be reading a Daenerys chapter. We're gonna be reading Daenerys five. A Game of Thrones, and I think I'll just, I'll make an occasional glance at all of your lovely comments, because uh, I would like to get some kind of back and forth, might be fun, because um, traditionally the way the show works is that I ramble on for half an hour, uh, and I ask a bunch of questions which I don't know the answers to off the top of my head, and then I need to wait for like release, like hours later, uh, for you guys to go and Google the things for me. And, and and it seems like the natural development of this technology is if you guys could just, like, Google for me in real time. That would be terribly exciting if I could just go, what's a... How, how many aorta does a horse heart have? And you guys can just whip up the answer for me immediately. Uh, it'll be like Siri, you know? That would be that would be wonderful. And you guys can ask questions for me. Uh... I'll be selective about what I answer, maybe, but you can ask all sorts of questions about Danny and the Dothraki and horse hearts, because that's what this chapter is about. So let me just have another glance at the comments. <laughs> I can see Hairless Oyster, Hairless Oyster talking in uh, all caps, as an oyster is wont to do. Hello, oyster. Hello, everybody. Joey Bonzo asks me, how big is my cork? Uh, well, that's not fit for a live stream, is it? I'll get myself demonetized if I... What are the rules on that stuff? I don't know. But we're going to read the chapter. The chapter is Daenerys Five: A Game of Thrones, episode 47, and it begins with the description of a heart steaming. Uh... The, the the heart is steaming in the cool evening, and the heart has just been removed from the corpse of a wild stallion. I mean, I, I suppose the stallion probably wasn't a corpse when it had its heart still in it. Probably the reason why it's a corpse is because it hasn't got a heart 
in it. Hearts belong inside stallions. Um, or that's what a stallion would tell you anyway. But this heart has been removed from the stallion to serve a greater purpose. This heart is about to be used in a sort of a religious cultural ritual among the Dothraki, wherein Daenerys Targaryen is going to eat the horse heart. This is like a whole new kind of food description. We do, we know that George Martin loves his food descriptions. He loves his grease running down chins. This is an entirely new kind of food. This is this is Dothraki food. This is this is uncooked, unseasoned raw horse heart. Uh, and it won't be grease running down Daenerys Targaryen's chin. It will be blood stallion blood because this is like a write about like strength and like and like giving giving strength to Daenerys's unborn child Daenerys is pregnant of course we have a description of the soft swell of her belly um and she's surrounded by the ancient crones of Vase Dothrak the old women in Vase Dothrak who serve as these sort of uh religious oracle sorts of people. It's interesting that the Dothraki are this very, like, male-dominated society, as a lot of them are, but they have a lot of respect for the crones of Vase Dothrak, for their wisdom and their guidance. Uh, and so we have this whole thing when the Dothraki all come to Vase Dothrak, all the different Kalasars, who are normally, like, warring against one another, come together peacefully in Vase Dothrak every now and then uh, to do these sorts of ceremonies. Uh, so in this case, they're welcoming uh, Daenerys as Khaleesi, and uh, they're about to drop a prophecy, like a hot mixtape, about Daenerys's unborn child. Uh, so Daenerys, of course, uh, is uh, a little bit out of element, I suppose. I mean, she has right to be a bit nervous in this particular situation because, you know, she's she's a 14-year-old girl marrying a horse lord and she's in this far-distant, exotic Dothraki city and she's the centre of a religious ritual. This is not the sort of thing that most 14-year-olds have to deal with. I mean, most 14-year-olds in our society, the most nerve-wracking experience they would have would be like a, like a mid-term algebra test. Uh, but this girl uh, is having to eat a horse heart to prove the worth of her unborn child to the foreign savages so that's that's a big deal it's like in rick and morty um what's the name of summer's friend who marries bird person like she's she's a bit out of her element tammy tammy marries this this large proud foreign man who doesn't say much but he's but he's very sort of powerful seemingly and he takes her off to this far distant land and there's this exotic wedding scene and <laughs> and there are deaths at the wedding there are a lot of of similarities between the relationship between Tammy and Bird Person uh in Rick and Morty and Daenerys and Drogo the only difference being that of course Tammy is a uh intergalactic uh narc uh, I, I think in Rick's words, she's actually an undercover agent for the government. Daenerys, uh, as far as we know, is not an undercover agent for the intergalactic uh, government. Uh, so in that respect, at least, uh, there are differences between Tammy and Danny. Uh, but anyway, I think we're getting distracted. So... Daenerys starts to eat this horse heart before all the gathered Dothraki, and yes, indeed, warm blood fills her mouth and blood runs down her chin. Um, 
and uh, it doesn't taste very good, as, you know, it wouldn't. Have you ever tried to eat a raw horse heart? Uh not 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 me and i don't mean to because it's described as it's described as thick and tough and stringy flesh uh and of course it's also full of blood and of course it's uncooked i mean you can get all sorts of diseases from certain kinds of uncooked meat i wouldn't want to catch some kind of lurgy from some kind of horse heart you know some kind of stallion flu what kind of what kind what, what kind of mumps do you think can be found in a in an uncooked horse heart, probably something bad. Um, anyway, so so all right, but the idea here, the idea here is that the reason why Danny is eating this horse heart is because it will give her unborn son the strength of a stallion, so that he will be strong and swift and fearless. So I guess there's the kind of idea here that uh, by consuming the part of an animal, you gain its power. Uh, which is like a real life thing in some cultures, I believe. I think in, I mean, I mean, you, you've all seen District Nine, right? Where like the South African uh, warlordy dude wants to eat one of the one of the prawns uh, so that he gets their power. It seems to be a similar idea here with the Dothraki figure. Well, horses are fast, uh, so if I eat some, I'll be fast. Uh, which which is a reasonable idea, reasonable enough idea before you get science, I think, you know? I mean, why not? Uh, it must be the heart that does it. I mean, do you guys know about Farlap? You guys probably don't know about Farlap. Let me, let me glance at the comments. Do you guys know Farlap? Uh, okay, I don't think you know. Farlap was this horse. Farlap was this horse who was really fucking fast. Uh, he was like he was like the Flash of horses, uh, and he won a bunch of horse races, and everyone was really impressed by this horse. And they were like, "How is this horse so damn fast?" Uh, and then when Farlap died, as racehorses inevitably do, uh, they opened Farlap up, and they found that he had just a gigantic heart, just like a watermelon filled heart it, it like like this 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 was this was the the uh oh fuck what's the word uh i forget the word but it was a really impressive heart and the reason why this horse was so fast and so powerful was because of the heart so maybe this is what the dothraki are sort of thinking if it has a giant heart uh maybe it'll be good at running good and maybe if we feed this heart to the unborn child of uh of a khaleesi her son will be mighty fast just like farlap maybe that's the chain of thought um and so she's eating this heart uh, and Daenerys thinks about some of the preparation that she's made in order to try uh, and get ready for the prospect of eating a raw heart. Uh, apparently Danny has dined on bowls of half-cluttered blood for months in order to accustom herself to the taste, uh, and, and Eerie made her chew strips of horse flesh until her jaws were super strong, and she had starved herself for a day and a night before the ceremony, uh, so that she'd be hungry enough to keep down the heart, uh, and oh, and so they mentioned that they were they were cutting up the heart with stone knives, which is kind of curious. And then now we're we're told the reason why they're using these stone knives. It's because no steel, no blades 
are permitted within the sacred confines of Vaisdothrak. So the idea that Vaisdothrak is like a peaceful place, it's not a place for war and conflict, and so you're not allowed to even bring steel blades into Vaisdothrak. Um, which is why it's kind of interesting that they have these stone knives, right? Because stone knives technically don't break the rule on steel blades, even though they, you know, can be used basically the same way. Um, which is kind of funny, you know? It seems like there's there's no sacred religious rule uh, that doesn't have a loophole somewhere. Uh, and in this case, one of the loopholes is a stone knife. I, I think it's mentioned later, but they also mention that one of the other loopholes that they use to kill people in Vaisdothrak is they have these these big, strong eunuch men who carry like these lengths of silk. Uh, and if someone's causing trouble down at the down at the market, if you got some rabble rouser, some ruffian down in the market getting up in someone's shit, they just send one of these these silk eunuch boys to come over and strangle them with the lengths of silk, and since they get strangled instead of cut open, uh, they die without spilling any blood. So you can kill people in Vaisdothrak uh, without shedding blood. And we get another example, another method, another another dot point on the Ehow article of how to murder people in Vaisdothrak without spilling blood, thereby breaking the prohibition on steel blades, at the end of the chapter. We get another method then, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, so, Carl Drogo is watching the ceremony as Danny eats the heart. Uh, his his face as hard as a bronze shield. Uh, he's got his impressive long black braid. He's got gold rings in his moustache. And he mentions uh, a, a heavy belt of solid gold around Drogo's waist. They keep mentioning this solid gold belt around Drogo. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, res- like a pro wrestling belt around Drogo. Uh, this very impressive, very audacious golden belt, which, which will be used later in the chapter. George Martin always plants little seeds little seeds to 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 lay the foundations for the crazy shit that happens later on uh in his uh story uh his chekhov's gun in this case chekhov's belt we will see this gold belt used later on um and drogo's pretty emotionless uh danny doesn't see much feeling coming out of his face but danny danny thinks that she glimpsed a fierce pride in his dark, almond-shaped eyes, but she could not be sure. And this is kind of interesting. Like, in the show, it's pretty clear that Danny and Drogo have, like, a really quite close, intimate relationship eventually. But in some of these chapters in the books, it's not so clear. Often there are these lines where it's like Drogo is being all like, mm, I am strong, I am Drogo, I have no emotion. Uh, and then Danny's like, and 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 then Danny was was quite sure that she saw the, the the whiff of the hint of the possibility of maybe a smile, almost as though he loves me. Uh, it, it it seems as though Danny is, like, searching and trying... Like, Danny wants to believe that Drogo is connecting with her emotionally, uh, but it's not so clear if that's actually the case. So you could take it as a sort of, like, a Stockholm syndrome sort of a situation where Danny is, like, projecting the positive feelings that she wants to see 
on Drogo, even though he might not actually really give that much of a shit about her, uh, it's kind of left up to the reader to see how true that is. But it's interesting to think that maybe some of Danny and Drogo's intimacy, at least in this point in her arc, uh, is imagined by Danny, um, which is sad. Um, okay, so they're doing the ceremony, she's eating the heart, um, and, and Danny gains strength by looking at Drogo, um, and, and then she finally manages to finish eating the heart. Um, and then, and then Danny talks a bit in Dothraki, she says, Kalaka Dothramraha. It, it it even has a little fantasy apostrophe. You know how, like, fantasy languages in books, uh, people often make fun of fantasy authors for using just, like, random apostrophes within the words, uh, which, which you know, in, in a grammatical sense is used kind of, like, fast and loose to mean whatever the fuck they sort of want it to mean, but, like, mostly the reason why they put random apostrophes in fantasy words is just to, like, give it an appearance of being, like, foreign, which is, like, okay, fine, but, like, You'd think that if you wanted to give your 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 fantasy foreign languages the appearance of like foreign exoticness, why not use some like accents and stuff? Like you know how you can put like umlauts and little commas hanging off the end of the u and little bits and bobs, and they actually, of course, mean things in the context of um, the languages that they're made. But if you purely want to add some flavour to the appearance of your fantasy foreign language, why not use some of those fruity accents and stuff, as well as the apostrophes. Here's here's a hypothesis. Maybe the reason why they use the apostrophes but they don't like using all the funky accents is because uh, using a bunch of funky accents might cause, like, uh, compatibility issues and, like, unsupported characters in ebooks, uh, and maybe, like, printing, uh, printing presses and stuff might, might not ha- be totally equipped or totally comfortable with printing unusual characters. Um, there might be some, some, some technical limitations, um, that are the reason. Because I have heard that, like, like, publishers and printing presses have, like, quite specific rules about what kinds of, um, characters and what kinds of, of language should be used in books. I, I think I heard once that, um, you know how, uh, the, the the quotation marks are, are they properly called quotation marks? But the but the double the, the the quote the quote lines the quote blots the quote marks uh, they can be double or they can be single. In printed novels, they're very often single instead of like the double apostrophe to denote dialogue. And apparently, the 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 simple reason why they like to use single quote marks instead of double quote marks is because it costs less ink. You, you you spend half as much ink on the little quotes if you do them single instead of double, and that's the whole reason why they prefer single in books. That's what I've heard. I might be making that up. Correct me. But it's kind of funny that, that, that whole, like, stylistic decisions in, in books are partly dictated by, you know, saving ink. Anyway, um, so Danny says this thing in Dothraki. Um, and, and she says it in her best Dothraki, because of course Danny is not yet fluent at Dothraki, but she's learning, uh, and she has practiced this phrase for days to be able to say this particular line, and this line is, a prince rides inside me. 
So the idea that her on the idea is that her unborn child is going to become a great leader of the Dothraki, and we find out more about that soon. But I find it kind of interesting that this is a phrase that Danny has has practiced for days. Uh, and, and that she's been doing all this preparation in order to eat the horse heart, which, of course, you know, makes the whole sort of ritual seem a little bit less authentic, right? If this, if this is something she's been, like, prepping for. It's like, it's like even in the, in, amongst the Dothraki, who, who, who are supposedly these, quote-unquote, you know, savage, unsophisticated, uncivilized peoples, supposedly, um, in actual fact, they're into political theater as much as the bloody Westerosi are. Like, when, like, this is all, you know, going to a script. This is according to a script, this whole ritual with the eating of the heart and the saying of the lines. And Danny has been, you know, practicing in front of the mirror to get a, to get a Dothraki just right. Um, I mean, this is, this is, and, and she didn't write this. This is like speech written stuff. This is like when presidential candidates get up and you know that their speeches weren't written by them. There are professional writers, writing teams behind these presidential candidates, which is, um, which is how they get these eloquent or not so eloquent ideas across. And the same is true of this teenager amongst the Dothraki. Things are prepared. Things are designed uh, which means they're not quite, you know, authentic, because it's politics, and that's what politics is, and that's one of the things that Game of Thrones shows us throughout the series, which is that politics is something that involves a certain amount of falsity, sadly. Um, but anyway, so she says this stuff in Dothraki, and everyone starts chanting, um, they start chank, they start chanting rock, 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 hajj, uh, which they also chant in the show quite, quite prominently. Uh, and what this means apparently is a boy, a boy, a strong boy. Uh, so like a lot of cultures, the Dothraki want male children, none of that female nonsense. We want a male Carl because males are the source of political strength. Um, so make from that what you will. So they all start chanting, uh, and, and we get a description of the, of the, of the, of the, of the Dosh Colleen's, uh, withered dugs swaying back and forth, uh, which is something we really needed. Um, and, and the stars are above, and the Dothraki believe that the stars are horses made of fire that gallops across the sky by night, which is kind of pretty. Um, and there's this particular, there's this particular crone of the Dosh Colleen, uh, who, who has a single eye, and she's someone who peers into the future, which I suppose is ironic, that someone with less physical eyes, uh, uh purportedly has more vision into the spiritual world. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent of Bloodraven, with his one, one earthly eye, and his superior vision into the magical realms um and and so she's gonna do some do do, do a look-see into the future is what this dosh colleen is doing um and and everyone goes quiet and waits and listens for this dosh colleen to 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 say what she's gonna say about the future and even a carl as mighty as carl drogo um waits with bated breath to see what this Dosh Colleen will say. Uh, and eventually she says, all right, I've seen into the future, yo, uh, and here's, here's the forecast, here's the weather report. Uh, your son, uh, the, the, the son of Daenerys, the son of Drogo, this unborn child, will be uh, basically the toppest blokes, toppest bloke 
of top blokes within Dothraki culture. He's he's just going to be the best. He's going to be the paragon of what a Dothraki man should be. He will be fierce as a storm, uh, and he and he will cover the earth with his kalasar. So many men will follow him, and his enemies will tremble before him, and his wives will weep tears of blood, which I suppose is good, uh, and the bells in his hair will sing of his coming, and the milkman in the stone tents will fear his name. So that sort of implies that this guy is expected to invade Westeros, uh, because the, 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 the pale white people in Westeros will hide in their stone castles when the Dothraki come to town. Uh, the prince is riding, and he shall be the stallion who mounts the world. So this is one of the first big prophecies we get in Game of Thrones. There's a prophecy that this Dothraki will be born, who will be a powerful Dothraki, and who will conquer Westeros. Uh, and of course, spoilers, but this gets averted eventually, because Danny's son comes out as a monstrous little stillborn, uh, and and never leads anyone anywhere, least of all Westeros. So there are some alternative theories about, like, maybe the stallion who mounts the world uh, is Drogon, Daenerys's dragon, because he will presumably take part in Daenerys's conquest of Westeros. Or maybe Daenerys herself is the stallion who mounts the world, something like that. Um, or maybe this whole prophecy was averted. Maybe this prophecy simply didn't come true. We get a vision in the House of the Undying uh, for Daenerys when she has a vision of what her son would have been uh, if he was alive. Um, and we get this description of this of this terribly handsome Dothraki man with Targaryen silver gold hair uh, just being a badass, uh, conquering Westeros and stuff. Um, but of course that doesn't happen. So you got to ask, well, is this prophecy going to come true in some sense, or or did it simply not come true at all? And was that a vision of what could have been but did not come to pass? Uh, it would be pretty significant if it doesn't come to pass in any sense, uh, because there's usually this assumption in the fandom that prophecies do come true one way or another. Prophecies uh, like often are expected to go to come true in a way that the characters don't expect, like the Valenqua prophecy will probably be Jamie instead of Tyrion to kill Cersei. Um, and, you know, Azora High is probably going to be something a bit fruitier than what people expect. Um, but people rarely give thought to the possibility that a prophecy might not happen at all. Um, so it'd be interesting if the stallion who mounts the world is one of those. Anyway, so Danny says that, all right, yep, it's true. My unborn child is going to be a certified Dothraki badass. He's going to be amazing. My son is going to be the best. And his name is going to be Rago, which is a sweet name. It, it So Rago is naming her son after her brother Rhaegar. Uh, but it also uh, adds a sort of Dothraki flavor with the O sound at the end, because, of course, the Dothraki are all called, you know, Drogo and Akko and Kaholo and, and Rago and all of those things. Um, so it's a mix of the Dothraki and the Targaryen, which is a pretty, pretty fearsome combination of flavors to have in a man. 
Um, and so everyone's like, yeah, Rago, he's going to be a super great dude. Um, this, this is like a political rally, is what this is. All these people are getting together to talk about all of the great things, all of the great campaign promises, all of the great policies that this new leader is going to elect. All these, all these people are getting behind this leader. Uh, the difference being that this leader uh, is still a fetus. Uh, imagine if we held political rallies for fetuses. Um, that 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 would throw the abortion debate into a whole new, whole, whole new light, wouldn't it? Um, but anyway, so like this, that's that's happening. So everyone's chanting, everyone's having a good time. Uh, they talk a bit about the 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 Dosh Colleen again, um, and 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 they mention how Danny herself will eventually be expected to join the Dosh Colleen because the Dosh Colleen are made up of ex Khaleesi's. Everyone who was the queen of of Akal eventually is expected to go to 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 Thrak and join the Dosh Colleen, um, whether they want to or not. And of course, in season six of Game of Thrones, uh, that happens. Danny is dragged back to Thrak to be a Dosh Colleen. Uh, she she decides uh, to decline their their invitation to join their little club, uh, and with fire she makes her exit, uh, as Daenerys' want to do. Uh, but presumably in the books, uh, that will also happen in some way, uh, probably as ever, a bit different to what happens in the books. Um, let me just have a little, another glance at the, at the chat to see if you guys are still breathing, because I'm not, like, 100% sure that this is broadcasting properly. Is, like, the audio quality good? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I'm gonna assume that it's. I'm gonna assume that it's good enough. Anyway, um, so Dosh Colleen, uh, and then after, all right. So, so this scene so far is basically exactly as it appears in the show. The show covers this scene pretty pretty closely, pretty accurately. Um, but in the book here, there's an additional bit that isn't in the show at all. All of the Dothraki, after going to the to the political rally for for, for Fetus King 2020, uh, Rago, uh, after that they decide to go on a little political march because there's nothing like a march to get the political juices flowing. So they decide to march down the God's Way, which is where they have all those sick statues of stolen gods and kings and things, um, and off they go. Um, and while they ride down the God's Way, uh, as they do their march, Drogo asks Danny what the meaning of Rago is. Um, and he asks it in the common tongue of Westeros, because Danny has been teaching Drogo English slowly. Um, and, and Danny describes to Drogo how her brother Rago was a great warrior, and, um, and she's quite smart to frame her naming of her of her son in terms of something that Drogo would appreciate, which is like fighting skills. Like she doesn't say to Drogo, "Oh, Rhaegar was like a great Targaryen prince, and he was this great aristocrat who pl- who played the harp really prettily." You know, she doesn't say that because Drogo probably wouldn't appreciate that. She talks instead about his fighting skill, which was not really what Rhaegar liked to define himself by, but it's something that Drogo respects. So Danny is increasingly making sort of clever little strategic decisions like that throughout her arc. Um, and so, yeah, again, so like, so Drogo looks at her um, and it says that his face is a copper mask and he doesn't really betray any emotion. But Danny says that she thinks she glimpses the shadow of a smile on his face. 
Which is like, okay, so so maybe Drogo is having like a genuine emotional connection moment with Danny here, or maybe Danny's just desperate to find some kind of intimacy in her warlord husband because she has no other choice, so she's hoping to convince herself to find some kind of happiness in the relationship that she's stuck in. Either interpretation can kind of make sense, I think. Um, but basically, Drogo approves of the name Rogo, and they keep on going. Uh, and they ride to a lake called the Womb of the World, uh, which apparently is the lake that the first man had emerged from. According to the Dothraki sort of genesis idea, this is where the first man had emerged from the depths of the world, riding on the back of a horse. Which is interesting. Like most sort of cosmological myths, or a lot of them, involve like a man and a woman, like Adam and Eve, right? Which is where all the people came from. Uh, The Dothraki say that it all started with a man and a horse. Where'd the kids come from? Where'd the first woman come from? Did, Did the bloke and the horse, did they? Ooh... (laughs) Was it a female? Let's not think about that. Uh, But Dothraki cosmology is a bit uncomfortable, and so that's supposedly where uh, life began. Although, of course, what that sort of highlights with the man riding the horse is is that horses are obviously central and essential and foundational to Dothraki culture, and it's almost like a symbiotic relationship. Uh, that they have humans and and horses in the Dothraki consciousness. Uh, they are they are linked inextricably, uh, in a way that apparently men and women are not. Um, and and so Danny gets naked and goes into the lake. This is all part of the ceremony. Apparently, every good political rally should end with a pregnant teenager in a lake. Um, and so she goes into the water, uh, and we get a mention. Of uh, of Danny's lower lips touching the water, which we all needed. When, whenever whenever George Martin writes about Danny's lower lips, I just get this face. I just get this image of of George Martin's face, and it it it's it can it gets off putting. Uh, so she goes into the lake, and everyone's like chatting about how great it is, um, and the sacred waters go onto her body, and so the idea is that this is kind of like a baptism, or like a christening, right, where, like, they dunk the baby in the special water, so it represents some kind of, some kind of birth, or, or, or some kind of sacrament to show that this is, like, a holy thing, although I suppose it's not only for Danny, it's for her unborn child, Rago, um, and, and so, uh, Drogo's turned on, we get a description of a Dothraki boner uh, under the under his gold belt, and so he lifts her up in the air and plonks her down onto his dick. George Martin really enjoys writing these scenes. Drogo picks up the naked pregnant teenager uh, Daenerys uh, and plonks her onto his dick, uh, and they have sex in front of everyone, uh, and, and, and we get all sorts, yeah, it's quite, ooh, oh boy, yep, that's, that happens, they, whoa, (laughs) they do that, and then everyone's like, yep, that's the stallion who mounts the world, all right, so everyone approves of their public lovemaking, um, and then, and then they leave, (laughs) Uh, so, so for, for future reference, just remember that every good political rally features, um, eating a horse heart, uh, marching 
marching along on horses, uh, a naked teenager in a pond, uh, and then some public sex. I think I think if any American presidential candidate uh, had had those things in their campaign, they would instantly be elected supreme president leader for life. I would vote for whoever had that campaign, and I'm sure that you agree. Vote Rego 2020. Um, and so they head back into the into the tents of Vase Dothrak, um, and they're chilling inside, and uh, they're eating some actual food now, roast meat and, and curdled fermented mare's milk, which sounds pretty gross, but I think that's the closest thing the Dothraki have to alcohol. Um, and and so Danny's sort of walking by, and she's still naked, and people are, like, yelling comments at her, which is actually vaguely reminiscent of Cersei's walk of shame uh, when when she was walking around naked in front of all the city. Uh, the, the tone is very different here. People aren't uh, being aggressive or demeaning to Danny. They're being like, wow, you literally have like a god king in your belly, which is an entirely different kind of naked walk, because uh, everyone's excited about the stallion who mounts the world. Uh, we get more food descriptions. There's plums and dates and pomegranates and so on. Uh, and and all the blokes are getting drunk on clotted mare's milk, um, and they mention again that you can't you can't uh, shed blood or use blades in this city. Uh, and there's sort of the Dothraki aristocracy is out in full force. So the, all the different carls, because there are lots of different carls who lead lots of different kalasars all together in Vase Dothrak. Um, and, and the Carls are sitting up in the seats of high honour, uh, being all important. So, again, this is a reminder that, like, Dothraki society is not so different uh, to Westerosi society in that they, too, have, like, these defined social strata, right? Um, they have the Carls who are the most important, then they have the impressive warriors, who are, all, who are sort of second down, and then third down, there's, like, the sort of rabble of, like, the, of, of all the warriors and the workers and stuff, and then you have, like, the slaves, and then you have, like, like, there's a very defined social hierarchy, and we see this hierarchy in this chapter, in the Dothraki tents. Um, uh, and, and, and one, one interesting footnote here is Danny's relationship to slavery, uh, because we know that later on, Danny has like this crusade against slavery, like it's her like signature issue, um, where she's absolutely determined to end slavery wherever she sees it. Um, and it's interesting that slavery is very visible in the Dothraki society she lives in in book one, uh, but she never really seems to pay a special attention to it. So I wonder at what point it was that Danny decided that slavery was something that A, she detested, and B, had the power to try to end. At this stage, she doesn't seem to have quite that attitude yet. Anyway, so Danny's sitting in the tent with all the Dothraki who are hanging out after the political rally, um, and she's trying to look for her brother Viserys, because when you have a brother as unhinged as Viserys, you, you need to sort of keep an eye out to sort of manage him. It's like having like a really terrible uh, eight-year-old, or, or, the, or what do they say, like the terrible twos? Whatever age is just the worst in terms of just violent tantrums about how the kid wants to be king, that's what, that's what Viserys is like as a brother, just constantly throwing a tanty at, at, at the drop of a hat, screaming about waking the dragon and I am the king and all that. So in order to manage him, 
in order to prevent causing a commotion in the supermarket, in order to uh, prevent any sort of embarrassing uh, spew. Uh, you just got to keep an eye on Viserys and try to sort of manage him uh, before he gets into trouble. So Danny's keeping an eye out for him. Uh, and she sees Jorah Mormont is hanging out. And the Dothraki treat Jorah pretty well because uh, they respect him uh, and his ability to fight with a sword as a knight. Uh, the Dothraki pretty much exclusively respect fighting ability, it seems. Um, and so Danny asks Jorah to come over and chat. Um, and so Danny asks Jorah where Viserys is, uh, and apparently Viserys was in the market looking for wine, because uh, Viserys does not enjoy the taste of fermented mare's milk, uh, which, you know, you can hardly blame him for. Uh, so he's trying to get some wine, because he wants to get uh, shrunked, he wants to get a bit drunk, but he doesn't want to do it on mare's milk. Um, and so, and so he's been hanging out with the traders lately, apparently, drinking with them, and he's also been talking about trying to hire mercenaries there, because Viserys, in his ineffectual, flailing way, is still trying to assemble an army in order to invade Westeros and make himself king. Jorah, meanwhile, is chatting to the Khaleesi, um, slaves are bringing him blood pie and other delicious foods, and Jorah's just kicking back. Uh, we, we don't know at this point whether Jorah is still informing on Daenerys to Varys, because remember that that was a thing for a while, Jorah was w- was dobbing in Daenerys to the small council back in Westeros in exchange for the hope of being allowed to return to Westeros one day, because Jorah is exiled from Westeros after he uh, sold slaves and stuff. Uh, so it's not entirely clear if Jorah is still betraying Danny at this point, but he is at least at this point having, he's pretty much living the good life, honestly, in certain ways. Um, he's just sitting back with the Dothraki, riding around sometimes, and having slaves bring him delicious food. Um, Jorah's having a pretty nice time. Um... And, yeah, we get those descriptions of those eunuchs who, like, strangle people with silk so that they don't bleed, um, and, uh, and there's grease on mouths, uh, and they talk about the dragon eggs, because apparently Viserys tried to steal the dragon eggs, uh, because he wanted to sell them to go buy an army, um, and they talk about the value of dragon eggs. The value of dragon eggs is something that I think kind of fluctuates throughout the series. Like, there are lots of different accounts of just how valuable dragon eggs are. Like, I think at some point they sort of suggest that you sort of need three, all three eggs in order to get, like, a decent-sized army, but other times they suggest something else. It's a little bit unclear. All of the economics in Westeros is a bit unclear. The economics is unclear. The cartography, like the geography, is unclear. A lot of very dedicated people have tried to work out all the, like, travel times and distances and ship journeys and routes and all of that stuff for Westeros. And long story short, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, And the same is often the case uh, with money, monetary worth in Westeros is often pretty unclear, because George Martin doesn't seem, uh, that that just isn't his jam. You can't expect one author to be passionately interested in every aspect of the details in his world. I think what George Martin pays the most attention to are the characters, and, and, and making their relationships, and their pasts, and their personalities coherent, and the drama, and the conflicts between those characters interesting, which is all, in the end, that I think really matters. Um, so that's happening, 
and they talk about Viserys, and and Danny is very sort of sympathetic towards Viserys. Like she actually says, like when Jorah tells her that he wanted to steal her dragon, her dragon eggs, she was like, "Oh well, he can have them if he needs them. Like whatever keeps him happy." Uh, and she sort of talks about how you know Viserys is all all that Danny has. Um, the only person that, that, that she has that she can trust. And Jorah's like, uh, hello, I'm here. Um, but more importantly, Jorah also says, well, no, I mean, the Dothraki are your people now. The Khal Drogo, like, they are your family now. You don't need this whack job, crazy brother anymore. You don't need to pacify him with all this shit. Um... And and Danny has sort of already had this revelation out in out in the Great Grass Sea before, um, but but da- but this is another step in the direction of Danny uh, rejecting her dependence on the abusive Viserys and instead um, defining her own identity with Dothraki and later with Slavers Bay and with other people. Um, and another slave comes and fills up Jorah's cup. He's really enjoying this right now, um, and. And then they, and then Danny's like, "Oh, by the way, you know all that shit that just happened with like the political rally and like the stallion who mounts the world and that whole prophecy." Um, uh, don't, don't, don't tell anyone I said this, but I actually don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Jorah, could you explain this whole stallion who mounts the world shit? I'm a little hazy on the details. Um, and and Jorah starts to explain it to her. Uh, and he says that, yeah, well, basically, the prophecy is the idea that there's going to be this Dothraki guy who's going to be an awesome Dothraki who unites all of the different Dothraki Kalasars, who are normally separate, into one giant army. And he's going to take them across the sea, uh, and he's basically just going to conquer the world. It's going to be great. Um, and and Danny says, oh, in a small voice. So Danny at this point in the story is not the conqueror who we see later. She's not as she's not like fire and blood and all about taking over shit and waging war. She's not like that yet. At the moment she's mostly just sort of like, wow, I hope my brother doesn't get mad at me and wow, I hope my husband actually likes me and isn't just 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 using me for his own purposes. Wow, I just I kind of hope people are nice to me. She changes a lot later in the series, obviously, as she becomes a conqueror bent on taking what is rightfully hers in her eyes, uh, and then, and then Doria, one of the one of the little little servant girls, says, uh, "Oh, by the way, uh, your your brother just turned up. Do you wanna you wanna deal with that?" Uh, because Viserys has come in, and from the lurch in his step, Danny can see at once that he found his wine. Uh, so we get a description of Viserys, and he's quite. He's he 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 he's a mess. Uh, D- D- Viserys is white girl wasted right now. Basically, his 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 beautiful blonde hair is matted and tangled. Uh, he's very drunk. Uh, his his boots are dry and cracked because he's and he's wearing all his old velvets. Like he refuses to wear practical Dothraki clothes and instead wears the old silks and velvets that he got at Illyrio's manse, uh, even though they're completely unsuited to the environment of the Dothraki Sea and they've quickly gotten filthy and ragged. Um, so he looks he looks just like a fucking mess, um, and he staggers into the room. And he immediately does what Viserys does, which he, he just starts shouting and being angry and says, how dare you presume to start eating the feast without me? How dare you do this? How dare you do that? She calls his, he calls his sister a whore and he calls himself a dragon. And it's just, a, it's just embarrassing, man. It's just embarrassing. Um, 
No one who says, how dare you, by the way, is ever a good guy. Have you ever seen a good guy say, how dare you? That's only something that entitled, entitled, self-aggrandizing pricks ever say. You know, Bond villains and the like. Only those people are the sorts of people who say, how dare you? How dare you is like the moist of character dialogue. When you say moist, you're indicating that this character is gross and not to be liked. And when a character says, how dare you, you're saying that this character is an annoying, high and mighty prick and should also not be liked. They're like cheat codes. This is like the contra code of writing. If you just plug this code in, your character immediately transforms into, into, a, into a prick. Magic. Um, and so anyway, so Viserys is just, is just going in, and all the Dothraki are laughing at him because he just looks ridiculous. Uh, but everyone's also sort of eyeing him uh, cautiously because they notice that Viserys has a sword at his belt, which you are absolutely not meant to do in Vase Dothrak, the sacred Vase Dothrak. Um, and so Viserys basically turns up and says, like, yo, you fucking started the party without me? What, what, what's up with that? I'm, I'm the king, remember, man. I'm the center of this party. You can't get started without me. Where, where's my roast beef and my fermented mare's milk, man? And the Dothraki are like, man, we didn't even invite you. Like, please don't. It's like an embarrassing situation in some kind of house party where someone drunkenly invites themselves and strides into the living room um, and knocks over a tray of cocktails. It's it's not a good look. And Drogo and all the and all the alpha males who are running the situation basically say, look, can you? If you gotta be here, just sit out in the balcony with, like, the stoner kids. We don't really want you in, like, the main space, if that's okay. Um, and they laugh at him, and Viserys uh, does not enjoy their mockery. Uh, that is no place for a king, he says. Um, and they mock him some more. And then finally, Viserys draws his sword. Which is a pretty gigantic no-no in Vase Dothrak. It's 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 the sort of no-no that would be carved into a stone tablet. It's it, it's a thou shalt not level of a no-no. You are not meant to use blades in Vase Dothrak because this is a, a this is a sacred, peaceful place. And unless you use one of the one of the one of the official sanctified loopholes like stone knives or eunuchs with lengths of silk, you are not allowed to kill people in Vase Dothrak. Uh, but Viserys does not give a shit about Dothraki customs, and so he starts waving his sword around like an idiot. Um, and Oh, and, we, and, and it's mentioned, by the way, that this sword was borrowed from Magister Illyrio. And Illyrio gave the sword to Viserys to make him seem more kingly. Which, of course, raises this whole sort of complicated issue that we won't get into now, which is, like, what actually was Illyrio and Varys' plan for Viserys? Did they really intend for him to invade Westeros? Did they really intend for him to become king? But one of the interesting parallels is that there's a popular theory, a really cool theory, uh, that Magister Illyrio, uh, his real candidate is uh, Aegon Targaryen, or Young Griff, uh, seems to be in dance. Um, and there's a really popular theory uh, that, that Illyrio and Varys are going to give young Griff the sword Blackfire, the Valyrian steel sword of the Targaryen dynasty, which has enormous like political symbolism in Westeros, this sword Blackfire. Um, 
and and that's something that people expect Illyrio to give to Aegon in order to make him more kingly. Um, so it's kind of funny that we get in this chapter a suggestion that in order to make Viserys more kingly, Illyrio gave uh, Viserys some random fucking sword. Like, it's not described as anything special, it's certainly not Valyrian steel, and I think that reflects the relative importance that Illyrio holds Viserys in compared to Aegon. Illyrio doesn't really care about Viserys, and doesn't really think he'd be a good king, so he just gives him a random shitty sword. Young Griff, on the other hand, is is quite probably, for a whole lot of important reasons that are talked about in the Varys video, is quite probably Illyrio's real candidate, and someone who he really believes in, and someone who he really wants to see as king. And that's why that kid, in contrast to Viserys, is going to get an actual fully sick ancient Valyrian steel sword, Blackfire. So there's a difference there. Viserys, meanwhile, waves around his shitty steel in a place you are not meant to wave around steel. Uh, and so Viserys approaches Danny, uh, and he's he's really angry. And and Danny's like, "Oh, please chill out, mate. Don't be a fucking fool in front of the cool kids. I'll give you the eggs, the dragon eggs, if that's what you want. Like I'll pacify you, whatever you need, as long as you just chill and don't get yourself killed like an idiot." And Viserys is like, "Nah, I've had a fucking enough of this bullshit, mate. Uh, I want." the crown that was promised me. Because, of course, this whole saga with the Dothraki began when Danny was given to Drogo in marriage as part of a deal uh, for Drogo to provide Viserys with an army to invade Westeros, a Dothraki army. Uh, and for all the months since, they've just been traipsing around the Dothraki Sea with apparently no intention of actually going to Westeros anytime soon. So from Viserys' perspective, he does have some right to be pissed off. And again, you've got to ask... What was Illyrio's plan here? Did Illyrio really expect Drogo to make good on the promise of invading Westeros? Uh, and if not, why risk those valuable assets of the two living Targaryens and those dragon eggs? Why give those away to Drogo if there, if there seems to be not even all that high of a chance of them actually going to Westeros in the end? The whole plan of Illyrio and Varys is very very vague and hard to pinpoint, but again, it's talked about in the Varys video. <clears throat> um, and so, Viserys is a fucking mess, uh, he's making a scene at the house party, and it's embarrassing, um, and, and Danny starts to think of Viserys not as her brother, but as the man who had once been her brother. Like, Viserys is, like, really, like, a mess right now. He is weeping and laughing at the same time. Like, he's going, like, full Targaryen madness mode right now. Like, he's, like his father, the Mad King Ares. Viserys is breaking down, um, and, and Danny views him as the man who had once been her brother. So we really have a switch flicked in Danny's head at this point, where she's like, wow, I really shouldn't put up with this guy's bullshit for one moment longer. Um... And Danny, of course, was pretty much the one thing that was keeping Viserys alive at this point. So, spoiler, things are about to turn sour for Viserys. Um, and and the Dothraki are talking, and Danny translates. Uh, and oh, and by the way, uh, Viserys points his sword at Daenerys's uh pregnant belly. Uh, he he threatens Daenerys and threatens to cut cut Drogo's foal. Drogo's unborn Dothraki child. He threatens to cut the fetus out of Danny's belly. 
killing Danny and the child if Drogo doesn't do what Viserys demands and provide him with his army. So, so we got like a pretty serious fucking like standoff here right now. Shit is getting quite, quite real. Um, and Drogo says, "All right, mate." I'll give you what you want. I will give you a splendid golden crown that men shall tremble to behold. And then and then comes the saddest moment. Viserys smiles and and lowers his sword and says, That was all I wanted. What was promised? And so you can't help but have a twinge of sympathy for Viserys here, because of course, you know, he is cruel and, and crazy, but he's also just a dumb kid who wanted the one thing that he had been told all his life that he would have, which is the rule of Westeros. That was his birthright he was raised to believe, uh, and to have it denied all through his life would be a pretty unpleasant thing. Although, of course, it probably doesn't justify threatening to cut the unborn child out of your sister. Rule of thumb, write this down. If ever you're presented with 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 the opportunity to threaten your sister with 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 murder and 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 child aside, don't probably don't do it. Anyway, um, and so for a moment, Viserys is like, "Wow, I might actually. I just had to ask. It's amazing what you can get by asking." Uh, and Viserys is like, "Wow, all I needed to do was ask for my army and my crown, and I was gonna get it." And Drogo's like, "Yep, I'll give you a golden crown, all right." Uh, and then, and then he has his men break Viserys's arm, uh, and he gets accosted and he gets grabbed, and Viserys is like, "Holy shit, this is not what I had in mind." Uh, and Drogo unfastens his belt that's been mentioned a bunch of times before, his pro wrestling championship belt. Um, and he, and he unfastens it, and he puts it into a pot of stew. He, he removes the stew first, because uh, otherwise you'd be spoiling some perfectly good, uh, gold and stew by, by mixing the two. But basically, Drogo is melting down the solid gold in his belt into liquid gold. Um, and people have pointed out, uh, many times that, this doesn't really physically make sense how quickly this happens. Like in the show, it looks like it takes, you know, about five seconds for the for the gold to go from solid to molten liquid. Um, and as 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 the physicists and chemists in the crowd will agree, um, uh, fire can't melt gold beams or whatever. And apparently, it's physically impossible for the gold to melt as quickly as it does. But what? Ever, because the scene that is happening is really fucking cool. Because once he gets the the molten gold and he has Viserys prostrate kneeling on the ground before him, he says, Crown for king. And he upends the molten gold onto the head of Viserys Targaryen. And Viserys gets his crown, his golden crown, that men will tremble to behold. And the burning gold melts his face off like some kind of practical effects in some 80s horror movie. And, he, and, the, and the gold destroys Viserys' face and he screams and he kicks like something inhuman. And his scarlet silk is set to smouldering. And Viserys dies but not one b drop of blood was spilled. So just like the stone knives and just like the eunuchs with their silk, using molten gold is yet another loophole that allows you to kill people in Vase Dothrak without technically breaking the rules. Um, so that's all well and good. Um, but also, I think it's cool the line, a splendid golden crown that men shall tremble to behold. I reckon there's sort of an Ozymandias 
kind of vibe there. You know, the whole story of Ozymandias, which is like this bloke goes out into like this desert and he sees the ruins of this great statue that's like tumbled to the ground. And, and the statue was of the, like this great and powerful king who ruled over this great empire. And you can just make out like the, the, the text carved into stone on like the pedestal of the statue. And it says like, this guy was like a super dope bloke, but like, no, no. So what it says is like, uh, look on ye mighty and despair. Uh, and, and the original meaning of that statue was meant to be, look how powerful the king Ozymandias is and despair because he's so much doper than you are. But now that the statue is destroyed and broken and forgotten, it takes on another meaning. And the other meaning is look on and despair because even if you ever become as mighty as Ozymandias was, you'll eventually be broken and dead and forgotten just like everyone else. And so I think the the burning crown of Viserys is also something that men will tremble to behold, um, lest you get you get killed by Dothraki savages in a tent. Something like that. I'm sure it means something terribly profound. But the point is that Viserys, Daenerys's brother, her only 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 the only friend who's been with her the entire time throughout her life, um, though friend is probably the wrong word is now dead. The last sort of tangible connection, uh, human connection, that, 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 that Danny has with her Targaryen heritage is dead. And now Danny has been inducted into the world of the Dothraki. She's gone through this ceremony, this political rally, with the stallion who mounts the world, and the horse heart, and the lake, and all this stuff. And so Danny has been accepted into the world of the Dothraki. What's what's that shit in like the 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 hero the, the hero's journey, the story of with the, the, the thousand faces or whatever? Danny has like passed into the new. She she she's gone beneath the veil. She's answered the call to adventure, and she's now in this new, exotic, foreign, different world from where she was before. And as we know from 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 the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell stuff, no hero goes through this new foreign world without leaving unchanged. Finally, Danny thinks that after Viserys dies, Viserys was no dragon. Fire cannot kill a dragon. And this is one of the more sort of, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, controversial, misconstrued parts of the book, um, because there's this whole thing about how like some people think that Targaryens are fireproof. They can't be hurt or killed by fire. In the show, uh, it does seem to be true that Daenerys Targaryen is immune to fire. We saw that in season six in Vae's Dothrak, when Danny burns all those carls and, and is completely unharmed by fire. Uh, but in the books, at least, George Martin has said a bunch of times that Targaryens are not all immune to fire. And the whole thing in season one, in book one, uh, which we'll see later when Danny like emerges from the pyre, from the fire, unharmed. Uh, that was like a special one-off miracle event, um, and and, it, and it's not like representative of all Targaryens all the time. So what Danny was saying uh, in this chapter seems to be more of like a metaphorical thing. She was just sort of saying that well. You know, the fact that Viserys died and was an idiot just means that uh, he wasn't a true great Targaryen like me. 
which is a great sort of unfalsifiable hypothesis, right? You just say that all Targaryens are super great blokes, uh, and anyone who's not a super great bloke is just definitionally not a Targaryen. Uh, therefore, all Targaryens are indeed super great blokes. That's unassailable logic right there. So point one for Daenerys. But the point is, the point is that Danny has rejected her dumb brother Viserys, uh, and she has leveled up into a new Dothraki identity where she no longer feels held back by her crazy brother, and she's now going on to greater and better things. But meanwhile, we must tremble to behold, we must look on and despair, because we see that uh, there are casualties involved in Daenerys's ascendancy, and the corpse of Viserys Targaryen, who was to be a king, is left in the dust. So, thank you for listening to this this first ever live-streamed episode of Alt Swift X's Game of Thrones A Bridge. Probably should have done this on like the 50th episode or something. Um, but but I don't know, felt like doing it now. I also I mean this is this is also just sort of a technical test as well. I think I think the 50th episode will be like the proper live streamed episode. I think this is just like the test run. because um, obviously I kind of sprung it on everyone. Um, I imagine doing it later on, once we have a more established time, uh, then it might become more of a thing. I'm also thinking about maybe streaming on Twitch instead of YouTube, or, or like, maybe Pequeno Los Dos, I'm not sure. Because, um, of course, you know, you've heard about all this nonsense that's happening with, like, YouTube, YouTube adpocalypses and uncertainty and instability and... Um, it just sort of seemed to make sense to just have a little gander at what, like, live streaming is and what Twitch is. Uh, so let me know in the comments what you think of this whole idea of X live streaming, um, and I'll adapt accordingly. And yeah, obviously, like, I, I can't really interact with the comments and stuff with the current setup, but I'll, I'll develop a better setup. Uh, and I think in the future we'll be able to do a whole bunch of cool stuff with, like, answering questions and back and forth, uh, and we can do all sorts of exciting things. Um, but I think for now I will end this. I've, I've talked for a long time already. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this nonsense. Uh, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you, Hairless Oyster, for being such a hairless oyster. Uh, thank you, Catathelamon, for, for being such a catter and a Thelemon. Thank you to all of the commenters who have made um, this this bizarre, adorable little community around Alt-Swift-X. Um, I haven't done much of that sort. I haven't, I haven't recognized you guys as much as I, as I, as I think I should. I mean, you, you guys have been, I mean, you've even got a little hashtag Swifty squad. I oh, saw so that's 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 so adorable. We, uh, uh, Swifty Squad. I can get behind that. I mean, I, it's probably the hardest to spell. Uh, little sort of catch cry catchphrase that a channel can have, but 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 but, but it's a Swifty Squad. That's fucking great. Uh, so so thank you for 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 being that and for and for all your comments and for all of your engagement with this dumb little channel. Um, and this whole live streaming thing is hopefully a step in the direction of of transforming and growing and just like Daenerys, leveling up into something even cooler eventually. 
Um, and hopefully, uh, when Ultra Swift X levels up, we won't have to leave any uh, Targaryen corpses in our wake. So I think I'll end it there. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Uh, and uh, you'll hear more from Alt Swift X soon. Cheers.